0: Welcome to the Startup Grind Podcast. Starting a company is not for the faint of heart. You're always know, questioning, 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 tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. Where we talk to entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and thought leaders about how to build a great company. Like my friends like you, think you're crazy. I think you've got to be a little nuts. And change the world in the process.
1: We optimize for impact instead of profit. It's never been a more exciting time to be an entrepreneur.
0: From Startup Grind chapters across the globe. The chapter director for Cape Town.
1: Boise, Idaho. London. Malapalestine,
0: Palestine. Guangzhou, China. And delivered to you every Monday and Wednesday.
1: It's a startup grind.
0: I'd love to take a quick moment to tell you about one of our partners who make this podcast possible. SoftLayer, an IBM company. SoftLayer operates a global cloud infrastructure platform built for internet scale and provides infrastructure as a service to customers ranging from web startups to global enterprises. SoftLayer began as a bootstrapped startup, started in the founder's living room. Eight years later, they were acquired by IBM for $2.1 billion, and through it all maintained the belief that startups are what makes the world go round. SoftLayer's Catalyst program offers free credits for customized hosting across both virtual and bare metal machines, offering public and private clouds. Catalyst also makes it a point to provide a lot of support for early stage companies. They understand that no two startups are the same and refuse to take a cookie cutter approach to supporting Catalyst companies. Every startup gets personalized attention and feedback from a team of startup veterans and technical experts. For more info, check out softlayer.com catalyst. That's softlayer.com catalyst. Hey there and welcome to Wednesday's episode of the Startup Grime Podcast. Today we have a chat with SoftLayer's Chief Evangelist, Joshua Crams. As SoftLayer's Startup Evangelist, Joshua creates awareness for SoftLayer's efforts towards fostering innovation and investment in the global startup ecosystem. Specifically, he serves as an advisor, mentor, friend, and liaison for early-stage startups. He has partnered and mentored with several globally recognized startup organizations, such as Y Combinator, Founders Network, Techstars, 500 Startups, the Global Accelerator Network, and many more. Joshua is interviewed in Detroit by our Startup Grind Chapter Director, Marie Sabag. Let's listen in.
1: So, uh, why don't you explain to everybody here because I, we don't, we just got Techstars here in Detroit. I mean, we're under a year old with that. And Techstars and SoftLayer work together <clears throat> in a lot of cities. And so I've been trying to communicate to people what exactly that means for Detroit. One, getting TechStars, and two, romancing you to see if we can get software also here in Detroit.
2: Sure. So if you don't know what TechStars is, it's a it's a pure accelerator model where they've raised several different funds, and what they do is they invest into early stage companies that are building something cool from a technology perspective. An accelerator has specific terms. Generally, in the tech startup community, it's anywhere between 4 and 7% of your business for an early stage investment, plus they bring you in for 90 days and they surround you with mentors, with investors, with future, uh, past entrepreneurs that have gone through exits and sold their companies and been very successful. And They basically create a network ecosystem for you to help you build whatever it is that you're building. Um, <clears throat> so that usually lasts for 90 days. I actually, it was really funny, so Dylan Boyd used to be at Techstars, he's a really close friend of mine, and he came to me about a year and a half ago and said, what do you think about doing a Techstars in Detroit? And I said, if you involve all the right people, I think that'll go over extremely well. Um, And then, flash forward, like, four months later, he's talking to Dan Gilbert and Bill Ford, and he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. I I was so excited, I was like, whenever you do it, tell me so I can can help. Um, So, you know, Techstars... Brad Feld and David Cohen start, started TechStars back in 2007, and they're one of the more <coughs> successful accelerators. They, you know, are seen on par with 500 startups in Y Combinator. And these are the big names in the startup accelerator world. Um, y Combinator is in San Francisco. As an accelerator, they've they've incubated more IPOs than any other accelerator in the world. Um, TechStars, with the volume that they've created in the last, you know, seven or eight years is very much on par with 500 startups in terms of volume. They have um, an incredible mentor network, and what, what that means is if you're around the Techstars ecosystem, you're going to see very front edge technology, you're gonna see a lot of people like me from the corporate world or from you know other entrepreneurs that come in and say, how can we help you build this? Who do you need to meet? Um, and we're gonna pull them into our communities because that's the right thing to do. So the one thing I love, Uh, the most about Techstars is they have very much a give first mentality where they say, "I, you know, like me as an IBM software guy, I don't go into uh, into Techstars or any accelerators or any startup groups in the world for that matter and say, how do I get you to use my product? I say, how do I plug you into my ecosystem so you can be a successful entrepreneur? Hopefully in that regard, if I can help you be a successful entrepreneur, you'll remember me and maybe you'll use our cloud. Um, it's a pretty good one. So um, so bringing, tech, bringing that kind of full circle, getting a group like Techstars in Detroit for the tech startup community is incredibly important. You look at all the other communities Techstars goes and they're a hub in that ecosystem. And they started in Boulder and they, they, they've chosen to stay away from San Francisco and incubate other markets. So Portland, Kansas City, Boulder, you know, they've done... Quite a lot in Europe. There, it's a it's a very cool thing for Detroit to get that. It's going to put Detroit on the map in the tech community because it, Detroit's going to start getting the attention that I think it deserves. I mean, you are going to see innovation here. They're going to see, you know, that there is mindshare here. Right. The big thing in the tech community is that it used to be all the all the talent leaves Detroit. Well, that's not necessarily the case anymore. And if you see like so, if you see what's happening in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. It is so expensive to live out there, and so the natural progression is the silific- Silicon Valleyification of everywhere else, right? So people are going to stay home. They're going to create their companies in their backyard, and that's going to bring investment, and that's going to bring mindshare into groups like Detroit, so or cities like Detroit. So I think it's a very exciting thing.
1: It is, and with that, more and more I hear people say, "Yes, I went to Silicon Valley, and then I decided to come back here." because there are advantages to coming back to Detroit. And once again, I think with technology, and now we're getting our fiber like many other communities. So we're going to jump, I think, just fast forward with everybody else and be right back where we need to be. So
2: I think you're, I think you're already a lot closer than you think.
1: Um, I would agree, except that brings me to my next point, which is um, I think that we are, maybe five years into our startup community in terms of mindset and framework, and that's one of the things that you excel at. So what pointers can you give the Detroit startup community on how to work better together and not maybe, I don't know, I almost think it's like the Tower of Babylon, you know, like so many people are trying to climb to the top that we're all gonna end up on the bottom if we don't start working in hand in hand.
2: Sure. Um, I just had this conversation before, um, I think it comes down to collaboration. I think that, <clears throat> you know, true innovation sees no boundary, in my opinion. And so I think you need to be all inclusive. So I, 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 think I might be a good example of that. I, I wasn't in the tech community five years ago, or six years ago, right, <clears throat> until I moved out there and I found a nice, a nice little home for myself. Um, you, Detroit has the people here that have done it before. They've built businesses, they've built, you know, companies, they've built communities around themselves because of their personality or their smarts or their business, and I think those people need to be brought in. And they might not be tech entrepreneurs, but they know how to build a business, right? They know how to build a company, and they can help mentor, they can help teach. In certain cases, they can even invest. Um, So I, I think, the easiest way to say it is if you, if you draw the lines of collaboration, it's an all-in type of thing. Everybody in the pool, everybody help each other. Um, without Businesses that focus on building a business usually are the ones that win. Businesses that focus on making a load of money are not the ones that win, right? right. And so if you, help, if, if you help each other and you focus on how do you help your neighbor build their business, that's gonna come back to you. Because when you ask them for favors or you create introductions for them, you, you do the right thing, it always comes back to you, naturally. Whether it's six months or six years, it will filter back. So I think Detroit can build their community the same ways that they always have, um, minus the, the siloism. Forget about segmentation. Everybody get in and help each other. Right. You know, I, and I can say this because I lived here, and I hope it's okay. But rich, poor, black, white, Indian, Asian, like everybody, get in the pool.
1: Detroit is very stratified, so it, yeah. Um, so many things. So, what are some, now? So you've been back. I know just for like 24 hours, but what are some of the changes that you've noticed here just coming back?
2: Um. <clears throat> the buildings down here. There's a lot of people living down here and walking down here. New businesses. I mean, I'm staying in the book Cadillac, which was empty when I was here. It was abandoned and nothing was happening there. Um, so that's cool. Um, spaces like this didn't exist, you know, six years ago when I lived here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see more of the city as I get here. I haven't seen much. Right. Um, went to a great restaurant that I was totally surprised by and Pleasantly so. Wright & Company, if you haven't been there, go check it out. It's pretty cool. Good food. Can compete.
1: So it's just nice to hear because when you're here, you know, things start to slowly pop up and you kind of forget how much change has actually occurred in such a short period of time. Yeah. So.
2: One of the places that, there was this um, coffee shop that we parked in front of. And I remember very specifically when I lived here, it was one of the worst parts of town. Um, what street was it on, Patrick? Uh, yeah, so over there there was just like burned out buildings, and you didn't want to. But now like there's sec- like Dan Gilbert has private security, I guess, over yep. there. And what was that coffee shop called? It was so cool. Yeah, I mean it was just like there's a DJ booth upstairs, and you know just like that little nook <clears throat> neighborhood. I wouldn't have walked over there by myself when I lived here. Now, like, it's clean, and there's people running around. It was pretty cool to see. And I'm sure there's all sorts of different places in town like
1: that. Yeah, it's, I mean, things are just popping up, and people are excited to do things in the city now, and they're, I think, um, you know, I think younger people, and we have a lot of people moving into Detroit that will help create that community, ironically enough, because they haven't been brought up in the stereotypes and the, the delineations that people who grew up here are used to playing by. Yep. So that's also gonna make a big difference. So um, what are some exciting lessons that we can take away from other startup communities that you see happening around the world?
2: In regards to?
1: Um, just best practices maybe, and um, sharing of ideas, or I guess, just how to work together again.
2: Yeah, So it's really interesting. Um, I get to meet startups from all around the world, and it's, it's always interesting when I come back to cities like Detroit or Boston or New York, especially with accelerators and early-stage companies where people are raising money. Um, I think that's the first thing. Um, I think that you need to attract investors that are highly interested in risk and not averse to it. Okay. Um, I think that... The notion of send me your sales projections and send me your Excel sheet and your pro forma and all that, I think those days are gone. Um, any investment I've ever made, I won't even look at that stuff. I, because the minute you put it on paper, you're, you're tied to it and your investors, they like—they get stuck on those numbers and you're committed to it. So the minute you don't hit them, it's done. So in terms of best practices, you, a group like Techstars, that's a big thing. They're going to bring investors out here that are not afraid of risk, that are are willing to bet on technology. Um, I think that's another thing, too, is if you have a really cool idea, um, you know, sometimes you might not be able to make a business out of that, but you might have built some really cool technology that's worth something. And maybe it's not worth something to build a business, but maybe there's an exit for you in terms of an enterprise client or a larger company that needs that technology that you've built for something else. So maybe you're not going to build a billion dollar business, but maybe you have built a very nice little niche piece of technology that somebody can use. So I think see the forest through the trees. I think other communities, you're seeing lots of companies start, they say 9 out of 10 fail, and that's sort of true, but 1 out of 10, they want to build the next Facebook or Instagram or something like that, but they have some cool technology that they sell off, and then they go do something else, and they're self-funded. So... Um, I think a cool best practice is if you've built a really cool piece of technology, make sure that you find somebody um, that can look at that technology and help you vet it. And if you can't find somebody, then call me. I'll find somebody for you. So, Okay.
0: Let's take a quick break from the interview for some recent startup headlines. Twitter and Square have partnered to enable U.S. political donations via tweets. A button shows on campaign tweets with a cash tag URL. Users then select a donation amount and enter their credit card information. An audit of healthcare.gov shows contracts worth $600 million were badly managed, according to Bloomberg. A mandatory 96-hour management training was reportedly skipped, and employees handling $130 million contracts were unqualified. This follows extensive problems upon launch of the website. Flickr is demoing 360-degree photos on the Oculus Rift. The rollout is expected in 2016, with plans to integrate with Samsung Gear Virtual Reality and others in the future. Let's get back to the interview with Softlayer's Joshua Krams. Uh,
1: what are, I guess what, we know the WhatsApp and the Fitbit, but what's a company maybe that we haven't heard of that you thought had a really cool idea and maybe they didn't end up making it? Wow
2: that totally closed, that their, their doors are well, shut now? Well, just
1: maybe, or maybe they weren't as successful as you thought, but everybody always has their, you know, their pet, their underdog that they're rooting yeah. for. So
2: I'm rooting for a company right now that I think is is brilliant. Um, they they are still at it, though. Okay. They raised a couple million dollars in some seed funding, and I think their CEO um, is going to probably raise a Series A. It's called Good.co and it's a hiring app. It's super cool, it's fun. It's basically a, an eHarmony for job hunting um, that does scientific and an, um, algorithmic uh, matching. Okay. Right. So what it essentially does is if I'm hiring on my team, I can use this app for my applicants and figure out from a personality perspective who's gonna work well on my team with me, who's gonna work well on with other people, and then who's gonna get a good fit score with our culture. Okay. So I get three pieces of data Um, through very scientific means. Um, I think that that has so many applications for stuff other than hiring. I I personally think that Samar has a multi-billion dollar business on his hands. He just has to figure out how to use it. Um, So they're a Techstars company that's been at it for about three years. Um, I met him before he even filed his paperwork. Um, Totally fell in love with the company. I think it's a fantastic idea. He's a perfect example of an entrepreneur that goes through some really hard times. His his dev team he had to let go and he had to, you know, privatize it and hire a a firm to do his development. That's not perfect right now. So he's kind of running on fumes trying to figure out, okay, how do I salvage the technology I built? How do I move this forward? Um, I'd still bet on him. He hasn't closed his doors yet, but he certainly hasn't had the success he could have in three years. Um, you see some companies like Keen coming out of Techstars that are just on a rocket ship right now that are, you know, four or five hundred thousand dollars MRR every month. They're closing a huge round. You know, they closed a huge round from Sequoia a little while ago. Um, Samar hasn't got there with Good.co yet, but I think that's a perfect example of a, an entrepreneur that has struggled in so many different ways, but I think will still win. I really believe that he will. I think it's too good of a coo- too cool of a product. No, it
1: sounds great. Yeah, and so and it's um, fun
2: and it's beautiful and it's pretty and it's got good UI UX. But
1: just a universal application. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, heck, even the Girl Scouts could use it to figure out who's going to be a good brownie. I think so. anybody can use it to see
2: who's going to be a good something or other.
1: Right. So, um, have you paid attention to our tech scene? Like, is there anything here that you think is exciting or interesting?
2: I knew that was going to come up, <clears throat> wow. and I, I, unfortunately, this is my first trip back okay. in six years, but I'm going to be back a lot this summer with Techstars,
1: nice.
2: um, so I'm excited to, to learn more. I, I've got a full schedule of meetings with entrepreneurs tomorrow morning, okay. so I'm excited to see kind of what's here. You know, um, he's, a, he's a dear friend of mine, but one of my, my favorite entrepreneurs here is not a tech entrepreneur, but he's been building a community in Detroit since before I got here in '98. Um, Sean Harrington Uh and I just think that like entrepreneurs like that build this city, right? And so I'm excited to see what kind of tech stuff can come out of it Um, I'm a firm believer that there's there's room for everybody So I'm I'm I I don't know the name of one particular company per se sure Um, But I'm really kind of excited to see what the autos do with mobility. That'll be a really interesting Experiment
1: yes and it's well, so it's interesting you say that it's room for everybody because there is so much focus on technology these days everywhere that we go. But are really in the motor city, um, right? There we go. <laughs> there was our plug for that. But you know, Detroit has always been built on entrepreneurs. I mean, we've had immigrants come over for years and years and start up the small shops and all this. So, I think one of the things that people forget with all of this blossoming technology is there has to be an underlying ecosystem to support them. Mm-hmm. And so how do we bring some attention to that as well? Because we can have lots of tech people and then there's no food for them to eat because they can't cook, they're too busy coding.
2: Well, I mean, you, you, there's a lot of different ways I think you can you can do it. The, the one thing that Detroit has going forward is that it's a very affordable city to live in right now. right? Um, so. Maintaining and retaining that talent is number one on that, right? And number two is is having um, kind of the overall mentality of your kind of tech leadership and your entrepreneurial le- leadership and the investors that are here in town that are willing to take risk actually being accessible to people, right? Um, I think the more... Pe- so the cool thing about Techstars is you'll see a couple hundred people come through. Mm-hmm. And they're all former entrepreneurs that have gone through exits and they're all, they've all bought in to collaboration. And they've all bought in to community, building building the network through that. Um, I think you have to find a way to, to retain people here. And one way is by partnering with people from not here. Okay. Right. So people like Techstars, people, other pe- there are a lot of people in San Francisco that have ties to, to Detroit. Right. You know, and I plan on trying to convince them to come back this summer with me, so I think it's just constantly having that open dialogue and making sure that everybody has a seat at the table.
1: So when you bring everybody back, you let us know and we'll help you romance them about Detroit. (laughs) Well, I think if
2: you're from here, you don't need romancing at all.
1: So, I don't know. They had a program not too long ago where it was like the Detroit alumni and they invited people to come back and see how the city had changed. Because so much is different. I mean, there's people downtown now. That used to not even be the case.
2: I know. One of the reasons I loved living downtown all those years is, like, on Saturday I could go out and there would be nobody on the road. It was awesome. <laughs> I, and it's going to date myself. I'd go to Atlas for brunch. Uh-huh.
1: And mm-hmm. then
2: I'd go over to the pump and have a couple of beers on a Saturday or a Sunday Sunday. Right? It was great because no one was here. It was like, <laughs> it was like ghost town. It was, but it's really good to see people coming back downtown. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, um... If we were going to promote ourselves, what what do you think we should tell people that some of our selling points are?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of really smart people in Detroit and the surrounding area. I think that's number one. You definitely have mindshare and talent here. Um, two, I think that it's really great that it's very affordable here in, in Detroit. Um, you know, as somebody that's looking to buy a house in San Francisco right now and talking to some friends last night about buying lots here in the city, and. Second guessing where I should buy right now. <laughs> um, I think affordability is huge. Um, I think a resurgence and a renaissance of downtown um, Detroit is finally turning into a walkable city. Like you could literally live downtown and walk places, which is was not the case when I lived here. I lived over on Jefferson and Joseph Campo. I'd get in my car to go everywhere, but now um, living in a big city, I don't own a car anymore. But I can still use Uber here. So totally walkable, totally great city. Um, And I think, so this has always been my, even when I lived here, but this has always been my opinion. I love Detroit because it's a city full of gritty, you know, hard working grinders. I would hire grinders on my team before I hire an Ivy League guy all day long. Because they'll figure out how to get it done. Right? And so, I just like the attitude. You know, I think the attitude of Detroit is definitely a selling point, too. Okay. You know, you definitely have talent here, and they like to work hard. They like to have fun, but they like to work hard.
1: Yeah, do a bit of my work hard, play hard yeah. here. So, um, what, so, tell us a little bit more about, I guess, the selling points of Softlayer, so we can learn about it. Because I don't, to be honest, I don't know many people in Detroit who are using Softlayer. Because so I don't think it's a known quantity here.
2: Well, I'm not here to sell software.
1: No, but I just meant because a lot of people know about other services, and you you're building a community with SoftLayer, so.
2: Sure. So SoftLayer, I mean, if you everybody that uses technology, that builds a technology company needs cloud. SoftLayer's got an extremely robust platform where we leave it completely accessible to the entrepreneur. You essentially get free hosting for a year, and you get a guy on Eric's team that will handhold with you and, and you don't get that kind of tech support from our, co- our competitors. Right. Um, the beauty of being a part of Softlayer is that you have a lot of entrepreneurs on my team that are there for your support if you want it. If you don't want it then don't bother us, that's cool. If you want to come to us it's no bother. We'll, we'll get on the phone, we'll come sit down with you, Eric will spend you know as much time as he needs and his team is really adept. I mean, SoftLayer's cloud. To, to be frank, I wasn't a tech guy. I was a former customer of SoftLayer. I knew the guys. That's why I got recruited. I could use SoftLayer. Right. Like I set up our infrastructure on SoftLayer, and I know nothing about servers and cloud, but I was able to do it. So I figure, like, if I can do it, pretty much anybody could. You know, like, so.
1: So the reason I asked you wasn't so much to sell SoftLayer, but I think it's it's really important when you're trying to build a community to not only talk the talk but walk the walk and I really like that what you're doing through SoftLayer is doing that. You're showing people how to work together and how to be collaborative and you're holding your hand out and saying if you need anything tell me, and I will be here. And if you don't, fine, but my door is open. And I think that that's an important thing to communicate both through actions and words, and I really appreciate that, and I want more of that for Detroit.
2: Yeah, so I'd say about 50% of my job is looking over pitch decks for clients, introducing them to investors, introducing them to talent, Mm -hmm. um, all the things that your cloud provider, if you're not on software, probably won't do for you. Um, that's our that's our set aside that's our you know how we Your value add. yeah I mean our community is based on literally trying to help the entrepreneur build their business and that there, there's some authenticity that goes into that right um, so I you know most of my days are on the phone with entrepreneurs all over the world trying to figure out how they build their business and we just go through whatever their issues are and my whole team does that i mean we're we're doing that every day in every community around the world so Um, I think how you build community is just being accessible right so we're we're highly accessible
1: I liked your other word I think how you build community is being authentic because you can sell a bill of goods but unless you stand behind it it doesn't really mean a lot
2: yeah and I get questioned a lot about how scalable I am Mm -hmm. the cool part about my team is that everybody on my team is awesome like they're all ex-entrepreneurs or they're like highly focused on technology they they know their stuff, right? And I've got folks that have been in startups, that have started startups. So it's not necessarily that I'm not scalable. I, I'm not scalable. I can't do this with our 3,000 customers. right? But my team can. And they're just as talented and they're just as smart as what I think I am. I'm 42 years old. I can say I'm awesome now because I'm <laughs> old and I don't get what people think. So, um, yeah. So I, I think the cool part about it is they will make time. I mean, time's the most important thing you can give to anybody. Right. And my team actually does that.
1: So. I'm sold. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, and it's not on software. Like, I want to be part of the group. I mean, that sounds great to know that I can pick up a phone and call you or Eric and say, hey, I just have an opinion question. Is this really blue or is this an aqua color? Because on my computer, it's not looking right. Yeah. So. Yeah something simple. text me
2: email tweet whatever all
1: right so um, I have monopolized a lot of Josh's time and I want to open the floor up to questions and I have somebody right here
0: we're in a juxtaposition here because we are still an automotive town and we're having we have all of these IT startups many of which really don't want or at least profess not to want to have anything to do with the automobile industry when you talk to people around the country, you talk to them about Detroit, Do they express interest in coming in and getting a piece of the automotive pie, or would you say that they're still reluctant, or that they disdain working with
2: the auto? Well sector? I can answer that in a couple of ways. If you look at the, so IBM acquired us in 2013, right? <clears throat> IBM's been married to the big three for longer than anybody in this room's been alive. So I would say that a lot of my contemporaries and colleagues very much are interested in in the automotive business for a number of different reasons. Um, the other way to talk about that is when you focus on technology, you look at three of the largest employers in the world um, that are finally starting to show that they're interested in innovation and make the investment. So the agreement that they have with Techstars, there's financial expectations from corporate partners when they partner with tech stars. So Disney, Sprint, Nike, all these groups that, you know, my team has worked with and Techstars has worked with, there's a direct investment by the enterprise. So do technical people outside of Detroit want to come in and work with the autos? Absolutely. They're too big to ignore. Um, and they're finally putting their money where their mouth is saying, we're going to invest in this and we're going to give it a try, we're going to see how it works. Um, because I think what the big thing, and, and this is not just auto related, this is enterprise, I think enterprise is really realizing that you can't run innovation inside enterprise. You have to go outside. So I think a lot of enterprise you're seeing will start that same investment strategy. So I would say very much people around the world are very interested from a technical perspective Mm -hmm. seeing what the autos do. Perfect example of that is a company called Proximity that worked at a Techstars in 2012 in Boulder. Look them up. It's pretty cool stuff.
1: Any other
3: questions? Sure. Can, can you talk the team dynamics that you see being successful with founders? You know, we, so I work in a three-man team, it's my idea, you get a CTO, and then uh um, my best friend is an attorney. And the team dynamics seem to be great right now. Um but we don't really want to make one person a boss because we see ourselves as equals of our separate part. Yep. You know, but at the end of the day, if someone writes a check, well, someone's got to be involved. So, can you start with
2: leadership team dynamics and founder dynamics? Or? Sure. It, when you start a company with somebody else, it's very much like a marriage. You have to, it's a partnership. You have to have, be on equal footing and you have to have healthy conflict. The moment that conflict becomes healthy, you're going to start digging into the coefficient of time versus building your company. You're going to be focused on business related stuff. So you have to be absolutely sure that you're going to be able to function with this person in a closed environment for a very long time um, i see I see teams that are very good at it and I see teams that are very bad at it and it's all it always comes down to it really it comes down to maturity you know the, the the function the teams that I've seen break break up are the teams that end up getting focused on one thing rather than the bigger picture um, I, I think when you the teams that survive are the ones that can yell and swear and scream at each other and then come back into the office the next day and actually work together. And that takes a very confident person a very kind of high level of maturity to be able to do that.
3: There are more and more tools available for entrepreneurs to start businesses without a lot of tech knowledge. Um, What advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are looking to do just that um, and sort of above the, I wouldn't say the trend, but the traditional uh, notion of if you start a startup, you better have like an on-site dedicated technical resource. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I, go, I always go with my intuition and I'd say talk to somebody on my tech team about that. I don't know the answer for you. Um, I'd say that there are a tremendous amount of resources out there to build a business, but you definitely need somebody that understands how to put all those tools together to work for whatever you're building, whether it's software or past, whatever it is. I think you need somebody with a deeper understanding of that. Maybe it's not you on site, but it's at least an advisor to your company that can say, okay, well, this is what this means, this is what this means, and this is how you can couple them to build what you're building. Um, But really, that's that's not going to help you. That's not a good answer. Eric's sitting right behind you. I'd grab him after we're done and chat with him.
3: You mentioned that, um, forget the books, forget the numbers, the charts, etc., to appeal to VCs, or perhaps one like yourself. Um, it, it does change quite a bit. I mean, the, the three minute video was good, the, the elevator pitch was good, and it seems like, according to you, it's not even good anymore. But that's even dated. It's funny. Um, so what, what, does, what is the sales pitch that's used then nowadays? I can check my watch because it might be a yeah. big tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. What, what is it? Is it show and tell on the product? Here's our product. And then is it some traction pretty much? Is that what it
2: is? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's where you are. Like how much of the technology have you built? Like how much of your product is fully baked? Do you have proof of concept? Do you have some sort of proof out there that people will use what you're building? Um, and I honestly, like, I think that's enough. I've seen so many startups get funding on those basic <laughs> principles that, it's, it, look, it's just one guy's opinion. You can think I'm full it and I don't care, right? Like it's just, but I've seen so many startups that have a great idea. They built a really cool product. Out of beta, it looks great. People are using it, and they've received, Branch Out's a perfect example. They got $6 million in a Series A after building a product for like four weeks. They'd branch Out. They were just sold to Hearst, right? So I mean, if you have a really good product and you have the ability to show that people are using it, why they're using it, what they're using it for, and what that means in a business case, like how you can make money, then I think you're going to be okay. I think you can put whatever spreadsheets you want together. I wouldn't waste my time.
3: Yeah, I've heard in in places like San Francisco, they're, they're just powerhouses where the paradigm has shift, shifted. The, the guy with the monies, the, the entrepreneurs can tell him no because um, we're not shopping for you. We don't need you. And the guy with the monies is you know, shopping for them.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, and if you want to see a... well, if you, So a, a perfect example of, a, of somebody in Silicon Valley that's done an amazing job of fundraising. His name is Kyle Wild. He's the CEO of Keen.io. He's got a great blog. Hundreds of thousands of people read his blog. He is one of the best fundraisers. He cut himself the best deal with Sequoia that I've ever seen before, and it's fundamental basic principles on his conversation with the VC. I think if you read through and you read a lot of his articles, all of a sudden it'll, it'll click for you. Yeah, Keen.io. Yeah, he's got an awesome blog. I'd highly recommend anybody. And he's a Midwestern guy. He's from St. Louis.
1: Yeah. I want to, again, thank you so much for coming all the way out here and spending your time with us and giving us so many helpful hints on how to move forward together.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to the Startup Grind podcast. Be sure to check out our Startup Grind global conference page, startupgrind.com conference, and receive updates about our new keynote speaker announcements, workshops, and agenda launches. Two-for-one tickets available now.